Hello and welcome into another episode of Lockdown Wolves. Despite what the internet might tell you, Chris Finch is not the problem for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Still, let's talk about some things he probably could do differently in Friday night's game. It's all upcoming on the show. Welcome in. You are Lockdown Wolves. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Lockdown Wolves podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Lockdown Wolves. Today's episode is brought to us by our friends at eBay Motors. A championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. So for parts that fit, head to eBay Motors and look for the green check. Stay in the game with eBay guaranteed fit. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Happy Wednesday. Excuse me. Happy Thursday, everybody. Uh, game day is tomorrow. Wolves are back in another playing game, the 9-10, or I guess technically the 8-seed, whatever. The game to get the 8-seed in the Western Conference is Friday. Uh, I want to focus today, though, on still a little bit more of a postmortem is not the right term because this it's not the season, but I guess kind of uh, from the Lakers game on Tuesday. And, um, you know, some of, the, some of the Chris Finch conversation, what could he have done differently? What should he have done differently? Um, coming out of that Lakers game and, and how could that, how should he change his approach to Friday's game? So I want to get to all that here today. Um, first of all, though, a big thank you for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every single day. Lockdown Wolves is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms. You can also watch on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV. You can follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and at at B Beacon with two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. All right, so... Um, I'm recording this actually mid mid game between Pelicans and Thunder. I watched the first half of it, and um, at the moment it's it's a close game at halftime. It's been kind of back and forth. Pelicans are up early. The Thunder went on a big run, um, and then kind of the the reverse of that actually in the second quarter. The Pelicans up six at halftime, so um, it's likely the Pelicans win. I, I don't want to get too much into that uh, because by the time you're listening to this, we know who the Wolves are playing. But I do want to touch on on the differences in those matchups and, and why the Pelicans are such a bad matchup for Minnesota, even though the Wolves won two out of three against New Orleans this year. We'll do that at the end of the show today. I want to spend the first part of the show, the majority of the show today, talking Chris Finch and uh, rotation adjustments, coaching adjustments, et cetera, coming out of the Lakers game on Tuesday. Um, so a lot of chatter on Twitter, and this isn't like a complete straw man thing necessarily because there's a lot of people just kind of talking sideways about Chris Finch. I think there's a lot of folks who, you know, I really respect as, as uh, internet basketball minds who have um, said some stuff about Chris Finch, not being a very good offensive coach. I, I tweeted something out similar or to the effect of what I'm about to say, kind of middle of the night, like well after the Wolves Clippers game, this would have been like 2 AM Wednesday morning. So I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase my tweet and expand a little bit of, Upon it, my take on Chris Finch is still that he is a good offensive coach. I think that he, um, let's see, how do I how do I want to how do I want to say this? Um, well, here, let's do it this way. I'm going to pull up my actual tweet, and um, if I if I can get if I can get Twitter to work, I'm going to pull up my actual tweet and kind of expand on that. So what I said about Finch was 
He's improved. Well, I'll just read exactly what I said. I said, this is still my take on Finch. His ATOs, his after timeout play calls are still generally really good. He's improved dramatically with rotations and timeout management. Remember the playoffs last year, but the late game issues, while player driven, still reflect a lack of organization within the offense. Um, What I mean by that is the Timberwolves run some really creative stuff. They do. Um, They've gone away from some of the stuff they did last year. Obviously, Rudy Gobert is a completely different wrinkle. They're doing a lot less of the you know horn sets and some things that they did last season that I loved, and even a little bit earlier this year. And they they just aren't doing as many, they aren't doing as much creatively as they have at times. Still, out of dead ball situations, Vince draws up some really creative plays, some some unique ways to get Towns and Edwards the ball in positions on the floor where it's difficult to double team them, it's difficult to bring help, and it's advantageous for the Wolves' talented offensive players. The problem I have is that it's really only out of timeouts. And Finch has talked about, and I joked about this a little bit on Twitter, Finch has said multiple times that he the idea of his offense is to basically kind of provide guardrails that the players play with it. And in theory, the, the Wolves should be okay at that now because you've got Mike Conley to kind of be the floor general and, and and lead the way. But it still ends up devolving into straight pickup basketball, which then if you don't get an advantage in transition, which is hard to do in a playoff game, often when you have, you know, both teams are playing hard, both teams are locked in defensively and you get less kind of, you know, three on one fast break opportunities, broken floor situations, guys not running back like you get, you know, every night in a regular season contest. It's harder to get those big advantages in transition. That means you have to score in the half court. And if you have to score in the half court, you got to run something. And the Wolves didn't really run much against the Lakers on Tuesday. And I don't think it's because Chris Finch is a bad offensive coach. I do think he needs to do more than provide guardrails for this team. And I know Mike Conley is the veteran leader. I know that you've got other vets on this team like Rudy Gobert, Torian Prince, Kyle Anderson, guys that have played in playoff games with, you know, each of them have played in playoff games with multiple other teams. I guess Rudy just with Utah, but everybody else has. They all have playoff experience. They've all played various roles with other teams. But, your best players are still relatively inexperienced in the playoffs. Anthony Edwards, not relatively, really inexperienced in the case of Anthony Edwards, and Katz only played one more playoff series than Edwards has. They're your two best players, unequivocally. And then you want to lump in Jaden McDaniels, who obviously isn't playing now, but like, I mean, earlier this season, you would have said uh, the most important players for the Wolves on the floor, even when D'Lo was on the team, you probably would have said Towns, Edwards, and McDaniels in some order. And those guys collectively between the three of them have played in four playoff series in their careers collectively. So with the assumption and the knowledge that playoff, the you know, the game quote unquote slows down in the playoffs, there's less possessions to be used. There's less sloppy possessions generally, although the the end of Lakers Wolves Tuesday would uh, or the last half of the fourth quarter would, I guess, beg to differ with that statement. But in general, you get less broken floor situations and everything I said a moment ago. So you have to be able to score in the half court. You have to develop something to be able to score in the half court. And this Wolves team has not done that. And yes, that is a big part of that is on Chris Finch. I don't think it's because he's a bad offensive coach. I think it's because he underestimated 
the amount of structure that was needed for a team led by inexperienced players, or at least inexperienced in big games. And I say that, I mean, like the Wolves as a team were what, like 24th in offensive rating this season in the regular season, which doesn't reflect well on the coaching. Now, of course, the, the counterpoint here is is you're relying on Carl Anthony Towns, like you're expecting to have Carl Anthony Towns, and when you when you just don't for 52 consecutive games, that certainly changes things. So I don't put the fin- the offensive finish in terms of the overall offensive efficiency squarely on Chris Finch. It's also because the personnel was limited this season, and it, it wasn't. You know, I, I know a lot of teams had injuries, but. The Wolves have some legitimate excuses, given that they put all put push all their chips in on this Gobert thing, and then didn't get anywhere near the results they expected because, in large part, of due to injuries. So that doesn't reflect well on Finch, but it doesn't mean he's a bad offensive coach. Um, again, the creativity ATOs I think is is significant. I also think he's improved in some in some pretty obvious areas too. And this was part of my tweet as well. Last year, Chris Finch really struck. Well, actually, let's talk about that next. I want to do that next. And then I want to talk specifically about Carl Anthony Towns and something I noticed with a little bit of a rewatch uh, of, of like a like a masochist. I rewatched the, the parts of the games that the Wolves struggled the most in to try and figure out what was going wrong with the Wolves offense. And I want to talk a little bit about that next segment, as well as as a two things that Chris Finch has improved upon from 12 months ago in the playoffs. So we'll do all of that here next. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our new friends at eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, two things Chris Finch has improved on, I think mightily, since 12 months ago in that Memphis series. Because there was a lot of, you know, grumbling with how Finch handled chunks of that Memphis series. And it ultimately finished with him making the call to bench D'Angelo Russell. Remember that in game six and play Jordan McLaughlin, which was the right call. That was a gutsy call. It was the right call. However, timeout usage was brutal last season for Chris Finch. And even earlier this year, there were some issues. I think he's gotten much, much, much better. You know, he obviously, one of the coaches that always uses the use it, uh, the use it or lose it timeout in the fourth quarter. Uh, but I think the overall, his pulse on the game flow and calling timeouts to stop runs, I think some coaches are a little trigger happy in that regard. Finch was the opposite. He wanted his guys to play through it, which which fits, right? That aligns with a coach who says, hey, I want to provide guardrails for a free flow in offense. Of course, like he's going to be a little more hands-off with timeouts, like let the guys feel it out. He's figured out that that depends on, well, first of all, who's on the team. Second of all, who's on the floor. And with this particular team, just use your timeouts. Like, like let's 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 close those guardrails in a little bit more when an opposing team goes on a run, especially in a big game. And he's much better with timeout management now than he was last season as a, in his first full year as the Wolves head coach. The other thing I think he's improved on is is uh, rotation. 
um, and and making choices in terms of substitutions. And obviously, there's a whole you know the entire coaching staff is behind all of this, right? Like there's guys, assistant coaches that are contributing in both these areas. But ultimately, it's Chris Finch's call. And I think the rotations were much better this year in general. I think some of the offensive offense-defense substitutions at the end of quarters and end of games was good for Finch this year. I think the way he handled foul trouble for players was generally really good. Again, this is a complete generalization based on an entire season. But those are examples of things that, like, what more do you want a head coach to do? This is, this is year two of him being a head coach. And he's made the play-in in both seasons. And, and no, they have not lived up to expectations this year. There's no question about that. But we can go back and talk about the number of games Rudy Gobert missed and, and how they remade the team to accommodate him and that, or sorry, Carl Anthony Towns missed, they remade the team to accommodate two bigs and then ended up with the one that isn't, you know, an all NBA offensive type big. Um, so that's why the offense suffered. So you want your coaches to improve year over year. Chris Finch unequivocally improved in terms of timeout management, rotation decisions, substitution patterns, et cetera. He's much better in both those areas now. Now, specific to Tuesday's game against the Lakers, a couple of things. One, I'll nitpick the rotation a little. I think Jordan McLaughlin, I gave him a, a very clear dud. In his 10 minutes, he was, what, 0 of 5 shooting and and uh, I think two turnovers, no assists, McLaughlin. I, he left him out there a little too much in the second half. Um, Finch did the right thing by not putting Nate Knight back out there after a bad two minutes in the first quarter. Knight didn't play the rest of the game. The Wolves played Kyle Anderson as the backup five, which I predicted on Tuesday that they would do. I thought Sloma would be the backup five. Finch should have made the same decision with McLaughlin, and I get it. McLaughlin has earned a little bit of a longer leash because he was, he's, you know, generally last year, he was in a, not, not generally, he was an assisted turnover king, almost Tyus Jones-esque last season. And also the way he played in the playoffs against Memphis. And when he was healthy this year, pre-calf strain, you know, he was really good early in the season, but he has not been himself lately and did not play well in this Lakers game. So I think he gave a little bit too much leash to McLaughlin and Nikhil Alexander-Walker played really well and he could have played a little more and has also done a pretty decent job bringing the ball up the floor, initiating some offense. Uh, another thing I'd like to see him potentially try, uh, depending on how Friday's game plays out. And, and, and to be clear, like I generally don't like when fans are like, oh, hey, you know, play the rookie who's not played all season. Like, let's see what happens because these coaches see these guys in practice, see them constantly are watching film with them, know if they're ready or not ready. I think that's their job, right? So I don't pretend to know more than they do in this regard. But somebody like Josh Minot, who can give you the energy, defense, offensive rebounding, well, actually both ends of the floor rebounding size that might be needed, especially with no Jaden McDaniels and no Nas Reed. Those are qualities that those two guys have that now you're missing. I don't know. It's a winner take all or winner go home, I guess, is a better way to say it on Friday. Like, just roll the ball out there, put Josh Minot on the floor, see what happens for some quick stretches, right? Like, we saw the Wolves do this end of quarter situations. I'm blanking who it was against. I think it was against Trey Young and the Hawks, where Minot came in the game to basically like allow the Wolves to switch everything. And it was like this all length lineup. Try that. I don't know. Why not? What do you have to lose? So a little less McLaughlin. If he, you know, I, I think you give him his normal first half minutes on Friday and, and you know, depending on how that goes, maybe less McLaughlin, more Alexander Walker, a little bit of Josh Minot. But again, that's nitpicking the rotation a bit. Of course, it, it also matters when it comes down to an overtime game. Every possession matters. The other observation I had from Tuesday that I wanted to talk about was the issues in the stagnant offense late. Uh, and I talked on 
I think both the live postcast with Marty and then also the post game pod on Wednesday about the, I, I guess the, well, obviously Anthony Edwards, lack of aggression and also towns unwillingness to counter what he typically does and take the ball baseline. The Lakers tried to force him middle and did a really good job with that. They also just straight would double team him when he put his back to the basket and forced the ball out of his hands. Something that the wolves did too much of was like early, so early in the game, they were getting the ball to Cat in the mid post, high post a little bit more often, and he was operating from there, and it worked really well. Hard to double team him there. Late in the game, the Lakers are switching everything, and the Wolves just continuously put Carl Anthony Towns in ball screen action, and or, or as the screener, I should say, in ball screen action, and which is perilous for a couple of reasons. One, because Towns was in foul trouble, and he picks up a lot of offensive fouls. We've talked about this, I feel like, every day this week, that Towns, the the percentage of his personal fouls that are offensive fouls is greater than anybody else in the league going back to last season. So, like, you have to be careful there. Number two, now the Lakers can just switch it, and if Cat faces up and starts to drive, you bring another defender, Cat's worried about, you know, char- about committing a charge. He's maybe trigger-happy on the pass, et cetera. Why not? And also, if Anthony Davis is Towns' primary defender, why not put Towns off the ball and use somebody else as a screener, whether it's Anderson? You probably aren't going back to Nate Knight there, so it probably is Anderson, maybe Torian Prince. That's screening, and then Towns is kind of your... This isn't the right example, but I talked a lot earlier in the season about the Boyan Bogdanovich role in Denver's offense, excuse me, Utah's offense over the past few years, where he basically stood in the corner and shot threes and was really, really good at it. Carlton Towns is obviously a better, more dynamic player than Bogdanovich, who, by the way, is a fantastic player, but Towns is is an all-NBA player, right? I, I think you just need to create more catch-and-shoot opportunities for Towns, and I know I know that he's more than that, but you can play off the catch, right? Like, you can catch-and-shoot hit a couple of threes, and then you play off of that with the pump fake and drive, and and I get it. Towns was in foul trouble, but putting him in ball screen action every time as the screener is inviting those same sorts of interactions and, and in you know, concerns that he's going to fall out of the game. So I think you just have to try something a little different. It's not ant isolation. It's not ant cat pick and roll. Um and also putting the ball in Conley's hands. And I talked about that on Wednesday's show as well. Like Mike Conley needed the ball in his hands a little bit more often. It should have been more Conley initiating Towns off the ball. Play Ant, you know, Ant should not have been the primary focus of what the Wolves were trying to do offensively, given how he'd played the rest of that game. Um, so we'll see what happens depending on the matchup here in the in Friday's game. But Minnesota has to be. This is where the creativity that Chris Finch, you know, has always been has all it's always been said that Chris Finch has this you know uh, creative offensive mind and we've seen there's evidence of that when he was in Denver with the initial versions of the Jokic offense the the multiple bigs in New Orleans and all the other stuff he's done in various stops in the NBA but uh there have to be more creative ways to get the ball to cat i like maybe Hornsets comes back um you know maybe you put Ant and cat at the elbows and you play Conley off of that I, that to me has always been a favorite and I, I'd be curious to know why that that's kind of that's happening a lot less than it used to for the Wolves. Um, it's a way to take advantage of Ant's athletic ability, of Cat's ability to both drive and step back and hit a three. And same with Ant, but also Conley is the decision maker. And then Conley becomes a catch and shoot guy off the ball. And we've talked a lot about how Conley's, you know, he's over 41, 42% catch and shoot, I believe, has better numbers there the last couple of seasons than D'Angelo Russell has. 
uh, which by the way, side note, the Lakers are actually a worse shooting team since the trade deadline from three. So for all the stock of D'Angelo Russell and uh, losing spacing, I said this to us blue in the face at the time. Conley's a better fit for a team that needs spacing than D'Angelo Russell. And that's that's exact played out exactly that way. The Wolves have the trajectories upward in terms of their three-point shooting. The Lakers are downward. Um, anyway, I digress. Uh, let's go ahead and, and shift gears a little bit. I want to quickly talk about why I like the Thunder matchup better than the Pelicans. And this is still relevant, even though that while you're listening to this, you know who the Wolves are playing on Friday, and I don't. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about the... Uh, I, I had to record this episode before the end of that game. I think it's pretty likely the Pelicans win. I mean, checking in on this, it's still... I guess it's still a three-possession game in the third quarter, Pelicans up. Um, but I'll explain why I hate the Pelicans matchup for the Wolves. Um, and, and like this is all fresh after the Wolves just played New Orleans on Sunday. So we'll get into all that here in just a moment. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our friends at FanDuel. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back. There's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with the no sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Lockdown, sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. Um the Twins, by the way, won again. So if you're following Minnesota baseball, they're, I believe, now 8-4 and four and in first place by a couple games in the Central. Um, it's painfully early, but still, it's a great start for the Twins. Don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, the Timberwolves just played the New Orleans Pelicans on Sunday. And it was a game that they trailed, you know, big time. We don't need to rehash everything that happened with the, you know, McDaniels and Gobert and the whole thing. But the Pelicans are a, let me start here, actually, real quick. Housekeeping item. We will do a crossover episode. So Friday's episode will almost certainly be, that's the the goal is to have that be a crossover episode with either uh, Jake Madison of Lockdown Pelicans or Ryland Styles of Lockdown Thunder. Whoever the Wolves play Friday, We'll try and do a crossover episode, get that posted at some point during the day. Um, it's not a guarantee yet, but that's the plan. Uh, we we are left with a short turnaround to try to try and knock out that recording, but we're going to try and do it so we can uh, learn a bit more about these teams, which, by the way, like the Pelicans are a weird one because the Wolves only played them three times, uh, twice without Zion and once just this last Sunday. The Thunder, the Wolves have not seen in four months. It was like December 14th or something. So it could actually end up being four months to the day if they played Oklahoma City. So... Both matchups that uh, you know aren't super like fresh. They're not teams the Wolves have played a bunch lately, and the Pelicans have been all over the map in terms of injuries and availability of players this season. So uh, intriguing, but the plan will be to do a crossover. Related to the Pelicans, the Wolves really struggle with defending New Orleans because New Orleans is so comfortable shooting mid-range jumpers and playing downhill from there. And the Timberwolves struggle to guard in the mid-range, primarily because they play a lot of drop coverage and Rudy Gobert is on the floor. And well, Gobert is a really good drop coverage big. He, um, he, like you're still playing, the, the way you beat drop coverage is by being a really good mid-range shooter and smart decision makers. And for the most part, Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum are that. The Pelicans are 28th in three-point rate. They're not going to kill you from outside the arc. They were like three of 14 from deep against the Wolves on Sunday. But they, they just, you know, they mid-range you to death and then they play off of that, get into the paint 
and they are 10th in free throw rate this season as well. I mean, Brandon Ingram shoots six free throws a game. Obviously, Zion not being available is 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 massive. McCollum doesn't get to the line that much, but it's really all about Brandon Ingram, and he, I think, attempted nine free throws on Sunday. But it was all about the mid-range. It was all about the paint, and that is a difficult area for Minnesota to defend. Now, Rudy Gobert obviously helps the paint defense tremendously for the Wolves, but it makes the mid-range defense a little bit worse, which is okay against so much of the NBA. And that's why drop coverage became so in vogue in the past several years, because uh, team offenses were trying to avoid mid-range jumpers. So defenses were like, hey, take these because we know you don't want them, right? It still works with Rudy because he's so good at it. And there aren't that many teams. It's like the Suns and the Pelicans and you know a handful of others that really kind of live in the mid-range. Well, those are teams that the Wolves struggle with. And then layer in, how good the Pelicans are rebounding the basketball. And, and of course, not having Zion is a, is a huge thing because he was their leading offensive rebounder, or I guess second to Valanciunas, but he's a big-time offensive rebounding presence, uh, a significant defensive rebounding presence. But if you take the full season, which only includes 29 games of Zion Williamson, the Pelicans are 12th in offensive rebound rate, and the Wolves are 26th in defensive rebound rate. So you combine what the Pelicans can do from the mid-range and what the Pelicans can do on the offensive glass with the Wolves' struggles to defend the mid-range and the Wolves' struggles on the defensive glass. And that's not a great recipe for Minnesota. And then you consider no Jade McDaniels. And, and I know that after McDaniels hurt his hand on Sunday, the Wolves actually defended Ingram okay at times. Now he dropped 40-plus and was the best player on the floor uh, for the Pelicans, certainly. But down the stretch, Anthony Edwards had those highlights. He finished with four blocks, four steals, had a couple of big-time blocks against Ingram, one against McCollum. Um, but this is, you know, in a win or go home scenario, somebody like McCollum or Ingram can get just hotter than a pistol at a moment's notice. And then you're in big trouble. Theoretically, so could Anthony Edwards. Also, so could Carl Anthony Towns, but Ingram and McCollum are both volume scorers that are going to get their volume. They're both good, not, not, you know, very good, not fantastic three point shooters, but especially when it comes to Ingram, he's much more comfortable in the mid range and getting into all the way into the paint and, and playing off of that. So that would be my concern. Whereas the Thunder, the Wolves have a huge size advantage. It's one of the few teams that the Wolves head to head this year were better than in the paint, both in terms of scoring, controlling the paint in terms of block shots. And of course, rebounding, um, it's it's actually the advantages. That's why the the Pelicans Thunder matchup to me is so intriguing, because uh, I mean it's it's a team that plays small, plays fast, plays aggressive, is young, and the Thunder with the best player. I think you know with no Zion unequivocally, SGA is the better player, the best player between those two rosters, and then the Pelicans who are older, bigger, a little bit slower. Um, and relying on mid-range, relying on trying to get to the free-throw line, less three-point shots, just two different approaches. Um, and, and you know, they're in the middle of playing a close game in the play-in on Wednesday. So we'll see how that shakes out. But the Thunder, to me, well, they have nothing to lose. The Pelicans can always blame their loss on, again, not having Zion Williamson. So that's maybe a little bit more explainable. The Thunder are playing with house money. So that matchup's a little scarier for that reason. But it's still a winner go home game. So you're going to get your opponent's best no matter what. Uh, and I prefer the Thunder matchup to the Pelicans matchup. I'd rather deal with SGA. And I'd feel more confident that nobody else steps up in a big way on that roster than have to deal with Ingram, McCollum, and Jonas Valanciunas, who always gives the Wolves trouble no matter how big the Wolves are. Valanciunas, he had 18 rebounds, like 22 minutes against the Wolves on Sunday. 
the Pelicans matchup scares me. The Thunder matchup is a lot more palatable, and the Wolves with Gobert with Towns, um, like they can compete, or the not just compete, they can dominate the the paint against what the Thunder's lack of size, which is why that matchup is so much more attractive. All right, so again, the plan will be to try and do a crossover episode on Friday. If not, I will do a full preview of the game myself. Um, and then if the Wolves win, we will, of course, do a big crossover, perhaps even more than one episode, with our friends at Locked On. Uh, I guess it would be Locked On Nuggets now. I had my head grizzly still, but it'd be Nuggets if the Wolves win Friday. So we'll do that next week um, if, uh, if, if that's how this all shakes out. Otherwise... Either way, win or lose, even if it's the last game of the season, we're going to do the live postcast on Friday. Um, TBD on whether or not it will be myself and Marnie or just myself, but there will be a live show Friday night. It's an 8.30 p.m. tip on ESPN locally in, uh, well, 8.30 p.m. local time in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, airing on ESPN. So the, the postcast will probably be in the 11.30-ish range, 11.30, 11.45 p.m. Friday night. Um, and by the way, if the Wolves do win, if they win, Game one against the Nuggets is Sunday night. Um, so mark your calendars for that in case the Wolves do win Friday. So uh, that's all we got for you today. Check back on Friday for the preview of Wolves, the full preview of the Wolves game on Friday, and hopefully a crossover episode. A big thank you to those of you that do make Locked on Wolves your first listen every day. A reminder that you can watch the show on YouTube. You can listen wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also watch on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV. You can follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and also at B Beacon with two B's, two E's, C K E N. Of course, the Lockdown Wolves podcast is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Now make your second listen the Game to Game NBA podcast. Every moment, every top performance, and every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.